Today's scripture reading comes to us from Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 through 6. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. All right, good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 2. I know some of you were thinking a while ago when we talked about the church directory, man, what are we going to do about protecting identities? And how are we going to keep folks from getting that information that's uh, on our addresses and our phone numbers without that falling into the wrong hands? Well, unless you have an email in our office, you can't get access to that. And so that's one way that we're going to keep the Russians out and WikiLeaks and all the others who could get into your stuff, all right? Um, so I think you can feel pretty safe about what we're going to be doing with our church directory. We're going to work very hard to do that. As happens on an occasion, the sister who um, took care of the supply room for their church's Sunday school program got sick. She called in on Sunday, and then she turned off her phone and went back to bed. Well, she forgot to tell anybody the password to the door of the supply room so nobody could get in on Sunday morning to the supply room, get their Sunday school materials, and teach their class. Well, they found the preacher, and they asked if he could help, and he came over, and immediately he got down on his knees, and he lifted his eyes to heaven, and he um, started moving his lips, everybody noticed. Well, after a few seconds, he stood up, and he entered a few numbers into the keypad of the door. Then he knelt back down again, raised his eyes toward the heavens, and his lips started moving quietly again. Once more he got up, put a few more numbers in, and voila, the door opened. <laughs> One of the Bible class teachers said, Preacher, you have amazing faith. He said, No, there's a piece of tape up there with a password on it. <laughs> Many people try to appear holier than they are, and I'm afraid I can be one of them. Truth is, there are days that I am guilty of caring a lot more about looking like Jesus than living like Jesus. There are days that I work more at having the appearance of that cup clean, as Chad read a few moments ago, on the outside and not spending near enough time on focusing on what that cup looks like on the inside. And that can be pulled off with a smile and a few charming words, a couple of gracious actions, and the truth never be known that deep inside is a cup full of anger and jealousy and anything but a selfless Christ. And you know what I found invariably on days that I settle for that? I become a prime candidate for Satan to bring some observer into my life that sees that duplicity and sees that hypocrisy. And not only does that taint my influence with them, but Jesus' influence with them. Now, I hate that, but it's true. I'm not by any means going to settle for that. I'm going to keep confessing it like I am this morning. I'm going to keep asking God's forgiveness for it. And I'm going to welcome the Holy Spirit's presence to help me get through that and around that and over that in my life. Because I really do want to be a Jesus live-alike, not a Jesus look-alike. And if that's your desire, then John would like to have a word with you this morning. If you struggle with that like I do, then 1 John was written to deal with that issue because in this letter... John's going to attempt to expose bogus Christianity, to expose look-alike Christianity and try to influence his church to strive for live-alike Christianity. And so John's going to give us three different 
verifications. Here's the first one. It's doctrinal. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Here's the second one. It's moral. Do your choices reflect the character of God? And then here's the third one. It's social. Do you love all the children of God? Now, that's how you know who the followers are and who the fakers are, John says. That's how you know who the live-alikes are and who the look-alikes are. And the text we're about to look at is going to deal with the last two of those specific tests, the moral test and the social test. Let's read the text. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you, I guess, a new command in some ways. It's truth that's seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Anybody who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because darkness has blinded. Father in heaven, we love you. We ask your blessing upon the reading of this word in the assembly of your people, your family. We realize we're not all the family. We know the Southern Hills Baptist Church is gathering just like we are this morning, and we ask your blessing to be poured out upon them as they sing and praise you, as they um, take communion, as they offer their gifts, talents, and abilities, and as they hear the word preached. Would you please help unite our hearts in this community so that together we will convince this world you sent your son and it matters. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. We want gray in the church. <laughs> John won't stand for that. He's a black and white guy. And says, especially when it comes to holiness and darkness, it's a black and white issue. When it comes to persistent and deliberate sin in our life that we refuse to let the Holy Spirit lead us out of, we've got a problem, Houston. Spurgeon said it this way, an unchanged life is a sign of an uncleansed heart. And John would agree. He would say that a Christian that does not care that there's sin in their life that seems to be repeating itself over and over again, he would say that person who doesn't care is an imposter. His life concurs with the rest of culture who believes that the cross is absolute foolishness. He's saying with his life, by, by the way, with his life, maybe not his words, but with his life, he's saying, Jesus, your death on the cross is not enough motivation for me to stop what breaks God's heart. Sorry. It's just another Lord's Supper. Just another sermon. Just another Bible study. It doesn't really matter that it breaks your heart. John says that person is a look-alike, not a live-alike. Because a live-alike Christian wants their character to mimic the character of God. 
grateful <laughs> that when God made that a priority for us as his family, he didn't just leave us in the dark and send us some commandments on stone. Send us some regulations, some rules, some guiding principles, and even the best of all sermons. Instead, he sends his son so that his character has a live-alike that we can see and touch and learn from. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, here's what the Bible says. God's son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. I like it, how it says it in the new RSV. Jesus is the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Study Jesus. Get to know Jesus, and you'll know God. And I love that about our God. When he wanted most to clearly reveal what the glory of a human life could be, he became one of us. And he expressed that in a human life we know as Jesus of Nazareth. And through him, rather than settle on commandments that he demanded, he gave us commandments that were demonstrated. And I don't know about you, but that helps me. I need to see that, not just hear it, not just be challenged by it. And church, you need to know as far as John is concerned, an obedient Christian, listen to me, is redundant. He can't see there being any other kind. No, sir, a persistently disobedient Christian is not another kind of Christian. You heard it a while ago. They are a liar. Now, don't get mad at me when I say that. I'm just reading what God's saying through his spirit. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a, you say it with me, liar. Wow, that one's hard to hear. Coming from me to you or for you to me. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. He's an impersonator. He's a fake. He's a look-alike. He's not a live-alike. John taught then, and I'm trying to teach now, to know God is willingly to submit myself to brand new marching orders. On one of the occasions that Rick Ashley came and spoke at our Mount Family Fellowship in Rudoso, he told of a church that they had planted in downtown Dallas. And at one of the neighborhood Bible studies, they had a man that began attending by the name of Lowell Rhodes. He became enamored by the lives of these people called Christians that he was having contact with on a day-to-day -day basis until one day he said, can I become a Christ follower? Can I be baptized? And they said, sure. Took him to a nearby pool. They baptized him. They prayed over him and celebrated with him. And everybody noticed that he brought a big book with him to the baptism. It looked like this. It's called the Merck Index. It is an internationally known one-volume encyclopedia on drugs and chemicals. That book had a significant place in Lowell's life because Lowell was a very capable drug dealer. And that book helped him to recognize as well as manufacture the drugs that he tried to sell. He brought it with him, but as soon as that baptism was done, he found a trash can and he threw that book away. Because Lowell understood that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're under new marching orders. If you're going to wear the name of Jesus, there is no way in the world you can settle for living like the devil. You just can't. Question then. What sin did you walk in this morning with that you need to throw in the trash can? What act of disobedience are you involved with that demonstrates you serve really a superior and an authority and a Lord other than Jesus Christ?
What has so gripped your heart that enables you to keep lying, to keep lusting, to keep ignoring your kids, to keep ignoring your neighbor? Is it the American idol of success? Is it the American idol of pleasure? Is it the American idol of nudity? Is it the American idol of more? Is it the American idol of perfection? Who is it you're bowing down to? What false God has your heart? You're going to have to identify it first before you can stop bowing down to it and then let go of it. Because intimacy with this false God is going to keep you from intimacy with the true and living God, John says. And obeying the living God. I want to be very clear, John is not saying, if you obey God's commands, then you'll come to know God. No, the commandments of God are not some rungs on a ladder that get you into his presence. No, they're the result of you living in his presence. It's your knowing God that motivates you to obedience to God. Because you see, a person doesn't obey God if they don't trust him, if they don't believe him, if they don't sense his love from him, if they don't believe that his aim is to bless them. And I didn't get this early in my Christianity. It was my fault. I had one of these. And every opportunity in the world to read it myself, but I didn't. I do what so many of you do. You depend upon a guy like me standing in a place like this to help you know God. It can't happen. A little bit, but it can't happen. If you want to hear how it happens more, take our developing disciple class on this particular issue of knowing God. We have that repeated about once every six or eight quarters. Specifically, we help you know this invisible God. And some of you think you know God because you come to church a lot. Because you listen to the sermon. Maybe even you listen to it when you can't even be here online. Not enough. Not enough. I had a Bible and I didn't have a clue (laughs) that he wasn't just this crotchety old being up there trying to keep me from having fun. Remember, I I came to know God when I was 11 years old. And through my early part of my teenager, I just knew that that's what God was. Have you ever felt this way? If it's this much fun, if it tastes this good, it's got to be sinful. You ever felt that? Because if it's really this good and if it's really this fun, there's no way it can be from God because he's the one who wants to limit me. He's the one who wants to prevent me. He's the one who's got the guardrails around my life. That's how I felt. And then I became a parent. Oh, my goodness. There's no way I could have loved those kids more. They're just not. If you know anything about me and my family, you know that we are crazily in love with our kids. We've always been crazily in love with our kids And you know what? They told their friends this, but it's not true. My mom and dad sit up every night and try to figure out how to make my life miserable. Some of you teens think that. You think your parents literally lay awake at night, don't watch Raymond. Instead, they try to come up with creative ways to just make your life miserable. Not true. Same thing with God. Not true. He loves us. And he wants the best for us. And he tried as best as he can before he could send a savior in the world to send his law in the world and say, here, help yourself to some life. These people were just coming out of Egyptian bondage. They didn't have a clue what life is really like. They've been a slave all their lives. And and so he gives them these commandments, these principles to guide their lives into life to the full. It's amazing how people who don't know God see him as this great rule giver who wants to make our lives miserable instead of this great love giver who wants to make my life fall to the brim. He's a good, good father who just wants the best for his kids. 
That's why understanding of what is actually good for me cannot come from only within me. Let me say that again. That's why what's good for me cannot come only from within me. Because I am a recovering sinaholic. I need a loving voice from the outside who's wiser than me and who loves me more than I love me and who will be honest with me more so than I can be with myself to speak truth in my life whether I want to hear it or not about what could hurt me and destroy me and what could invite me to some incredible blessings if I just taste of it. God does that in his commandments. God commands me not to give loyalty to a lesser God. Commandment number one, because I'm the one who suffers, as any alcoholic or sex addict will tell you. Commandment number two, God commands me to respect his name and what it stands for. I need that because I'm going to live under authority, whether I like it or not, my entire life. God commands, don't be fooled. A day of rest brings you more in life, not less. Killing people with your words or your guns harms another person, yes, but it costs you a piece of your life. Never doubt that. Adultery and lying destroy trust, a commodity nobody can afford to live without. Coveting harms no one but the coveter. And God designed you for better than that. There's a lot more commandments I could talk about this morning, but you get the idea. Tragically, many of you doubt that. <laughs> I know I did. You believe that disobedience is going to make you happier. You'll believe it this week. You'll act on it this week. Please hear that because I hear it all the time from the woman who says, I'm going to leave my husband and family even though she knows God doesn't want her to. She says, it'll make me happy though. I hear it from the person who's a workaholic because they just have to have a bigger house and a newer car even at the price of their marriage and their family. I hear it from the woman who's going to hold on to that grudge regardless of the bitterness and the rage it keeps within her and her family because it makes her feel powerful. To forgive would be powerless, so she holds on. John says if you really believe that disobeying God will make you happier, you don't know God. Not the God of the Word. You may know a God, but not the God. You're the kind of Christian that moves through the cafeteria line and says, you know, I think I'll have some prayers answered. Give me a little bit of that angel coverage over there. But please leave off the tithing. No thank you to sacrifice. And turning the other cheek, you've got to be kidding, right? That's selective obedience. It's proving you don't want a Lord. What you want is a consultant. You want a little advice from time to time, and you'll follow that advice when it's what you actually wanted anyway. Please listen. John's saying to us this morning, a live-alike Christian obeys when it's inconvenient. Amen? Yeah, amen. A live alike Christian obeys when it doesn't make sense. Amen? Better. Still. A live alike Christian obeys when it's costly. Amen? Yeah, we're just really not into this this morning. You're right. I think they still think I'm a coach, Ty. If you're not sure that a live alike Christian obeys when it's inconvenient, if you're not sure that a live alike Christian obeys when it doesn't make sense, if you're not sure that a Christian obeys when it's costly, look no further than the cross. Incredibly inconvenient, wasn't it? Didn't make sense. And demanded the highest cost. Life. 
from the one who was the way, the truth, and the life among us. Hmm. But he loved his father. And he hung on that cross more for his love for his father than even your love. He did love you. But he loved his father. And his father had asked him to do that on behalf of you and I. As a matter of fact, the son said, is there another way out of this? No. Okay. I'm in. Here's what John says. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. It's the first sign of a live-alike, not a look-alike. Here's the second sign. The first sign of a live-alike, not a look-alike, is I want my character to mimic God's character. Here's the second sign. I want my love to mimic God's love. That's what I want. And again, it could be seen in Jesus. I want to read you a prayer that was prayed to Jesus and recorded for us in 1964. The language of it's a little archaic, but I promise you, if you'll just kind of lean in and listen well, it'll matter at the end, okay? Here's the prayer. Oh God, our heavenly God, as finite creatures of time and as dependent creatures of thine, we acknowledge thee as our sovereign Lord, and we ask, permit freedom and the joys thereof to forever reign throughout our land. May we forever have the courage of our convictions, that we may always stand for thee in our great nation. May the sweet cup of brotherly fraternity ever be ours to enjoy and to fill with that kindred spirit which will keep us unified and strong. By the power of thy infinite spirit and thy energizing virtue therein, ever keep before us our oaths of secrecy and pledges of righteousness. Bless us now in this assembly that we may honor thee in all things. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Those were the words prayed in 1964 by the Grand Chaplain of the KKK just before the Klansmen heard that prayer to go out and to murder three civil rights activists that evening. And blasphemy of all blasphemy, there's a cross in the center of that picture. How on earth can anybody claim that they're following Christ and condone that type of hate? John says in verse 9, simple. Anybody who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. They are lookalikes pretending to be livealikes, but they're, they're in the darkness. Anytime you have a brother problem, friend, you've got a father problem. Can I say that again? Anytime you've got a brother problem going on, you've got a father problem. Because you can know all about God and hate. You can have a PhD in theology and hate. But John says you cannot know God and indulge in the luxury of hate. That's how Jesus walked and that's how he expects you to walk. And it got Jesus in trouble all the time. And it probably will get you into trouble if you truly are walking in the love of Christ. Because <laughs> he hung out with people that religious people wondered, why in the world are you hanging out with people like that? And Jesus simply responded with this life, because I know God. And God loves everyone, everywhere, every day. John Grogan wrote a book a few years ago that he never expected to be a big seller. 
It spent months on the New York Times bestseller list, though. It was his story about a very complicated dog that he had adopted. It was constantly in trouble, constantly making a mess of their lives, and they could not stop loving him. The book was called Marley and Me. It became a very popular movie. Maybe some of you have seen it. But the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, is that Mr. Grogan was present for the filming of that movie, and it just so happened at a time in their lives when they needed a new dog. And so he picked up one of the puppies that played Marley in the movie. And the little puppy's name was Woodson. And so they took Woodson home, and shortly thereafter they noticed Woodson had a limp. And so they took him to the vet and discovered that Woodson had a rare birth defect that caused a malformation of his hips. It was beyond correction. Woodson would limp and be unhealthy all of his life. Grogan called the breeder back to ask him about the birth defect, and the breeder was so apologetic and very, very sorry. He said, listen, you bring Woodson back, we'll give you a good dog. But Grogan and his wife talked about it and decided, no, we'll just keep Woodson. And so they have. And he will never be able to do many of the things that people purchase dogs to do with them. But Woodson will have a great life because Woodson will have great love. Now, I tell that story not just because it's probably syrupy. But it's an illustration, I think, of what Jesus tried to tell us about God. That we are a very troublesome people. We are more complicated than we ought to be. We are always making a mess of things. And we are severely flawed in our nature so deeply that it's beyond correcting until he literally comes to pick us up and take us home. And you know what God did? He wrote a book about it to try to tell the entire world how much he loves us anyway. That he loves everyone, everywhere, every day. John says this is a story that is as old as the gospel as he writes to some brothers and sisters that are a little bit shaken because they're not quite sure that they're in Christ. They're not quite sure that they are following Christ because there's been some folks who's left them and said they know more than they do. They're kind of the religious intelligentsia of that time called the Gnostics. And so they're a little bit unsure. And John's writing to say, I know that you can know you're in him. It's real simple. Mimic the character of God. And if you're doing that, you're in him. And love like God loves. If you do that, you're in him. Well, well how far do I love people? Jesus walks among us and he says, till it kills you. That's how far. Loving a disabled mate sometimes can kill you. Loving a special needs child can kill you. Loving a preacher can kill you. Loving a teenager can kill you. Loving and respecting a parent sometimes can kill you. John says, I've given you an example of how I need for you to love. And it's in Jesus Christ. Till it kills you. That's how you know that you're in him and he's in you. We've known since Genesis chapter 4 that we're supposed to be our brother's keeper, don't we? We just didn't know to what extent until Jesus shows up. And then love demonstrated it to us. Didn't just command us, but hear what the word of the Lord says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love has been made complete in us.
Now, I can, re- I can remind you who's teaching this today. And this may help a little bit for some of you who feel like, I just don't know if I can get this. <laughs> this is John, the son of thunder, who's writing these words through the power of the Spirit. And you know why they called him son of thunder? Because he was a hothead, <laughs> which is why he and Peter got along so well. He wasn't just a hothead. He was narcissistic. He wanted the best of what Jesus' kingdom promised, and he wanted it for himself. You remember the time when he gets a little bit of a, a downtime away from the other disciples? What's one of the first things that he asked of Jesus? Hey, hey, Lord, when you get that crown, could I have kind of a mini crown? Could I be your secretary of state? He not only was extremely self-centered, he was also a bigot. Remember when he's going through Samaria? And they were denied the privilege of stopping and eating in the town of Samaria. John says to Jesus, Lord, why do you say we just make some crispy critters out of them? Call down fire from heaven, why don't we? John was short-fused and long on self, full of prejudice, and therefore obviously empty of knowing God when he first started following Christ. Until he started hanging around Christ a lot. Amazing how that will change a person. The more he hung around Jesus, the more he understood what brings a human being life. And he said, I'm in. Scholars say that by the time John was old, he began to be rather repetitive in his writings. He would say over and over, love God, little children, and love each other. He'd say it over and over, love God, little children, and love each other. Why? Because the gospel had changed him. He lived his life as an old man by the simple mantra, love God, and love one another. It's no secret why that's out on our board out there, folks. God's made it really, really easy to understand. Difficult? Yes. It is not easy to love a sometimes invisible God. It's not easy to love that brother or sister sitting right next to you, let alone the one you're not even sure you want to sit down with in the same room. I believe authentic Christians attempt to keep it simple. In my lifetime, I am thrilled to say I have been part of a movement of the Lord's body in the churches of Christ to help us move away from a religion that was so complicated, many of our kids left it. Said, thank you, but no thank you. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'd rather do a science problem than try to get that religion right. Love God and love people. That's what he's asked us to do, but we've got so far to go. I want to conclude with this story from Northwood Church in Keller, Texas. It was... It's pastored by a guy by the name of Bob Roberts. Interestingly enough, their church has developed a reputation for doing mission work in countries where it's not only dangerous, it's illegal. And on one of their Barnabas trips to encourage the missionaries there, Bob said a man came up to him at night to tell him in secret that he too was a Jesus follower. Bob asked him how he learned about Jesus in his country. He said, about five years earlier, some soldiers came to my village and began to slaughter our people. I saved my life by crawling under the body of a dead person and staying there until the soldiers left our village. So when I I got up to leave and pushed the body off of me, something poked me in the side. I reached inside the pocket of the dead man and there was a little volume of the Gospel of John. And it was translated into my language. Said I read that little book and decided to become a follower of Jesus. And Bob said, well, what'd you do to follow Jesus? And the brother replied, Seek God, obey God. Then he told him how he led his family to Christ and some of his friends to Christ, and they all started meeting in secret. 
Bob said, well, how did you grow up these disciples? And what did you teach them? He said, I taught them, seek God and love God. When I heard that story, I thought, man, I hope a bunch of preachers didn't come in right after that and just mess all that up because we're so capable. John keeps it pretty simple. You want to live like Jesus? It's not really hard to look like him. It's really not. <laughs> I can speak from experience. Live like him? Whole other story. So those of you who'd like to be live-alikes, mimic God's character. Mimic God's love. And if you're not sure how to do that, just get out this book. <laughs> Incredible story about how these um, stubborn, unyielding, pretty selfish people are loved by a pretty gracious and merciful and loving Father. And you best get that when you study that part where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where, where you get to walk in those pages and see Jesus in person. That's a living faith that I think, I think, can be lights out for this community. I really do. And with the Holy Spirit's help, I believe it can help answer some of the darkness. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel like it's just creeping in and creeping in and creeping in and creeping in. I've read 1 John all of my life, but two words jumped out this week that I want to finish this with. It comes from this text in verse 8. Yet I am writing you a new command, I guess. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Never saw those before. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light's already shining. Leaning into each other. Leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit. Trusting that this is for our benefit, not to, not to make our lives miserable. I really think that's a lights-out lifestyle. And I think it can shed some light on some marriages and on some, some teens who are trying to figure out what it's like to be a, a, an adult in this world and what it's like to be a, a senator and a politician in that world out there. I think it can be lights-out good for all of our world, but it means that we're going to have to join not just a story about the light of the world here, but the light that's in us. And it's got to get out of here. It has to. I think that's the kind of light that's so strong that the devil will never be able to get out. Father, we love you. And we're asking you now that if you brought someone in here today who needs to throw some things in the trash can, and they're tired of, of bowing to a false god, and they'd like to, to turn their heart and their face fully towards you, the true and living God, to a Savior who would love them that much that he would come and give his life for them, even when he knew how crummy we were and how crummy we'd be. We're a mess, God, but thank you so much for sending your Messiah to us. Thank you for giving us a message of hope and love. Now just please help us shine out of here with that message and not just settle for being lookalikes. Help us please be livealikes. In Jesus' name and the whole church said. Let's stand and praise him. If we can minister to you in any way, come to the front or the back.